Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Time, Time Bandits, Bandits Minute. Minute. Time Bandits Minute is a podcast in which Duncan Shields and Curtis Blaze analyze and scrutinize the 1981 Terry Gilliam movie, Time Bandits. One minute at a time. So this is minute nine, right? And we've got all of the guys coming out of the war. So yeah, the time yeah the time bandits are cornered by Kevin after uh, after mistaking him for somebody else. Mm. So we get Randall and Strutter hopping out of the wardrobe, and then the rest following suit. So we've got Vermin comes next, then dear old Fidget, then the majestic Wally, and then uh, Og Og. Sorry, Pog pokes his head out. I love these guys. They're all burned into yeah. my mind. Like they're just what a fantastic <laughs> entrance. And uh, before we get too far, yeah. before we get into the action, just want to say welcome back to Nile, and welcome right. everybody back to uh, this episode of the Time Bandits Minute. Mm. Well, thank thank you for having me, guys. Thank you for having me for these minutes in particular, because it's like, hey, this big big stuff. The gears are in motion. Things are happening here. Yeah. In, the, in this movie now, first so. gunshot of the movie. Mm. Although now it's one of those things. Like nothing about this movie is in any way realistic. But watching that gun go off right next to somebody's head, it's like that <laughs> that man is deaf now. Yeah. Like, there's no way As, you uh, just recover from that within a second. Anybody who's like, yeah, worked with guns, you're like, uh, so there. That's that's really not good. What <laughs> just happened? <laughs> just imagine in this thirty by fifteen room, right? Yeah. Right. Well, this is kind of cool though, because after the horse. Like watching this movie for the first time after the horse explodes out, you're thinking, "Oh man, what could possibly be next?" Right? Mm. And then, but then in, instead of anything exploding out of the wardrobe, you get these six weirdos silently creeping out cautiously. And I remember, like as a child watching this for the first time, I was just like, "This is amazing! Like, <laughs> what is going on? I don't know what's going on, and I can't get enough of it." And that's so heightened by the frantic camera works going back and forth really fast, not knowing who to the camera, not knowing who to follow. Well, after they, yeah, after they get startled for sure. Yeah. Right. And then like, but before that we get just adds to that excitement. Strutter asks Randall, where are we? And Randall replies, I don't know. And Wally says, well, look at the map. And Randall says, it's not on the map, which is hella interesting and now is like sort of where we can have that conversation because this hole in kevin's closet isn't on the map right like that's something i think i think i missed that before so like what is happening with kevin's room that makes it not appear on the map like what do you think is is it like alan was talking about on the last minutes like is this another sort of vision or quest or is this something that's actually ordained and set off by the supreme being because it's part of his mm. actual plan to involve Kevin. So he just, he knows exactly what the time bandits are up to. So he just shunts them over into Kevin's wardrobe to pick him up. I think, I think that, that makes total sense. Unless you just like, I don't know. Cause yeah, then what other explanation could there possibly be for the, this not being on the map? Like it just, like it, it makes, it makes Kevin seem like, you know, is he some kind of special chosen one or something like that? That this house is like, you know, and a nebulous, entity onto itself outside but it's like i don't think you're supposed to get that from him though i think he is just like an average kid and stuff so it's uh this is the best this is the best place for that conversation none of the wormholes none of the time doors work the way that this one does yeah Mm. there's no there's no coming in through a wardrobe like this there's no pushing a wall out which we'll get into in a later minute um but this is a special side place and it makes me wonder duncan 
if there are other places that are not on the map. Totally. Obviously, creation is not perfect. Yeah. And so that so what that suggests is that there are lots of little little side bubbles everywhere that aren't on the map that you could get to. So what does that mean? Did they take a wrong turn somewhere? I think that the map is not comprehensive, right? I, I agree with you that the map is, they thought it was right. comprehensive, uh, but it isn't. Like, that's the simplest explanation for it not being on the map, is that the map is faulty or has like, you know, 800 million of the windows, but there's an extra 19 that were not accounted for that are did not get cataloged or something, and the map is not that big. So, yeah, I don't know. I would think it's either they took a wrong turn, for sure. They did uh, 10 steps to the left and 11 steps to the right instead mm. of uh, right and then left or something like that. Yeah, the uh, wrong turn at Albuquerque. Wrong that, turn uh, at Albuquerque. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. It's a wrong. They took a wrong turn <laughs> at Albuquerque. Exactly yeah, they're Bugs Bunny coming so, up out of the So hole. here they are. Here they are in the closet. Are all seven of them in that closet? Six. Or are they coming through a time hole? I, I keep saying that because I keep counting Kevin. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry about that. Are all six of them in the closet right now? Or are they just using the door to the closet and really they're coming from a hole? I got the impression they were using the door and they're sort of trickling yeah. out. Like okay. even as like by that logic of um, of like a Bugs Bunny logic, it's like it could be like the... the the hole is actually coming up through the, the closet floor or something. And it's like, yeah, them, the, the reason it was rattling about so much is because that's them climbing up into the innards of oh, the, nice. the actual wardrobe. I like stuff. that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I, like I kind of got the impression they were stepping down into the wardrobe somehow or... Oh, okay. Because they, they obviously didn't fall in. It didn't it didn't bump that much. Yeah. 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 And you expect them to come like probably be... tumbling out of it instead of like cautiously creeping out of it if they just randomly right? got thrown right? into a wardrobe. Yeah, right? yeah. And gravity does work through the wormholes. You can fall. Yeah. In fact, that's kind of the main fun way to get through wormholes, it seems like. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Is you, is you have to fall fall down into the next one. You know, that's a terrible way to travel. Or, yeah. you know, like... Every, every single time you're going to the next place, you know you're going to fall out of the sky. That sucks. <laughs> I guess... You hear, yeah. like, George Hassan romantically saying, they go, tumble into a thousand centuries. <laughs> like, oh, it sounds wonderful. And then you see it in practice, like, no, that seems terrifying. <laughs> like, I don't want to do that. Oh, Can I go with a nice stroll through time. a thousand centuries? Maybe that would be much more pleasant. <laughs> Maybe I'm going to bring a mattress with me for this trip. You mean you mean literally <laughs> tumbling? Oh, I, ooh, I don't... It's different. Or parachute. <laughs> do you think if you fell for, like, three years, you'd get used to it? Mm. You know, the first week you'd be like terrified beyond uh, the capacity for rational thought, but like after that you'd be like, "Well, I have to sleep." Oh, yeah. oh I'm still. I, I, uh... I just, I just imagine I'd be like, "Yeah, that Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey situation." <laughs> like I'd just be thinking about <laughs> yeah, that scene I'm the whole time. Bring that up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or you oh. just start. Just start playing charades. Mm. <laughs> oh, this is, again, this is that episode of this episode of Gravity Falls where they fall into the bottomless pit, and the whole episode is them telling stories as they're just kind of suspended in this, you know, a black screen behind them because they're supposed to be falling forever and ever and ever and stuff. Or like, what was that uh, that bit in the Avengers, the first Avengers Endgame, when uh, <laughs> they they put Loki in like a limbo, and then they bring him oh, out, yeah. and he's like, "I yeah. have been falling." For thirty-seven minutes, <laughs> like yeah, 
It's <laughs> that's, that's in uh, Thor Ragnarok, which of course Thor. directed by Taika yeah. Watiki, uh, who okay. apparently it was. A, it's, I don't know if he still is, but the 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 uh, the word on the playground was that he was uh, remaking or doing a, like a sequel series of Time Bandits. Or yeah, that's right. It was yeah. I don't know that, that, that was like two years back. Now I don't know if that's they put the kibosh on that, but like I remember Terry Gilliam been pissed about it because they didn't tell him. Like he was he was supposed to be a producer. Oh. And, like, I didn't know. Yeah, that. apparently, like he was supposed, to, he was like, oh, yeah, I was like executive producer or whatever, like that. And then he he was reading the trades one day, and it said Taika Watiki is writing and directing Time Bandits, and he was like, "That's news to me." <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't know if like there was an upset about, it, but it seems like it was late 2019. I yeah. don't think I've seen anything about it since, so I don't know. Maybe it's just, it's fallen by the wayside or whatever. It could, or have maybe Taika Watiki is a very very busy man. But well, he is a busy man. It could have been a COVID casualty, you know, like all things being equal. Yeah, 2020 killed a lot of things. And casting. Yeah. What are you going to do with casting, right? Yeah, that's the thing. It's just so uh, all all of the bandits are dead now. Like all of them. I think is there anyone still one still of around, them still or? alive? But uh, by yeah, almost all of them, if not all of them. Strutter here mm. uh, passed away last year. Oh, actually, I think I looked into Strutter. He was like quite old. One of them was like remarkably old. Eighty-four. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was Malcolm Dixon there, the guy who plays Strutter. He passed away at like eighty-four or something like that. Yeah, so that means he's been like what friggin' sixty or something. Oh, at the time. Like, it was like what Nile is saying is that one of the bandits right here is is pretty old. Yeah, yeah, and he is talking about um, which one, Strutter? No, maybe he was. Uh, I'm not too sure. Uh, uh, maybe Og. I think Og? Um, Og. I remember seeing like the the, the the dates is like oh one of the passed away like about ten years after this. And they're like, oh yeah, they were like in their eighties at, at the at the time they died. And I was like, well, that was only ten years after this. That means they're like sixty odd years old in this. It's like that's that's crazy considering how much physical action there is. The Colander hmm. guy is Kenny Baker, right? So he would have been because uh, he passed away only recently too, didn't he? Yeah, he was like in the last two yeah. or three years. Like, oh, the um, guy. Oh, got, this it? guy. Oh, it's the guy that doesn't talk a lot. Uh, Vermin. Vermin looks like he mm. might. Vermin. He, he might. He go. might be the oldest. It looks like so. Yeah. Yeah. See. Uh, yeah. Born nineteen ten. Died nineteen ninety four. What? And died age eighty three. Yep. So that's yeah, like he that's, is yeah. like seventy in this. Like Holy near, near around that seventy mark. It's like that's crazy that the guy's been expected to do so much at that age. He was. Yeah. There's a like, lot of <laughs> well stunts. I mean, he had the right look, yep. and Terry Gilliam likes what he likes. Yeah. Yeah. And then. I love it. But yeah, I was like, oh, I will hope I'm that agile when I'm 70 odd. Totally. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be a happy man. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Wally asks, is he coming after us? And Randall replies, I don't know. I think we gave him the slip. Just as Kevin turns on the uh, flashlight spotlighting them and complete chaos erupts. And it's fantastic. <laughs> All the bandits scream. Wally empties the clip of his uh, of his gun into the ceiling, and I thought I was trying to figure out what kind of gun this is because it's not a, a Stan or a Bren, and it's not an AK forty seven, and I can't find looks like a Thompson. I can't find Time Bandits on the Internet Movie da- uh, Firearm Database, but from what I could find is that it might be a refinement on the Sten designed by the Sterling Armaments Company that's officially called the L two AI, but more commonly known as simply the Sterling, and it was adopted mm. by the uh, the British Army in nineteen fifty one. More than 400. I say, yeah. Duncan, that is sterling work you've done there. Ah, hey-o. Hey. <laughs> Diddly-dop-dee-dop-doop. We'll be telling well, jokes. Good night, everybody. Uh, jokes. <laughs> I get jokes. So it's, uh, but yeah, 
Yeah, that looks right. It was the more than 400,000 were made and it was from 1953 to 1988. It was uh, the British Army submachine gun. But I can imagine the side-loading magazine would get caught on stuff. So I'm like, I'm no gun expert, though. Do you guys have more experience with guns, or? Oh no, none, not at yeah, all. I, I, I do. You do, yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, well, I've never used a side-loading. I've never used a gun with a side-loading clip. It's an, it seems to me like it would be a a, pain. a liability, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, you would have it'd be an extra place to hold on and stabilize it, especially if you've got a you know, machine gun that's going to be traveling up as you, as you hold down the trigger. Yeah. If you're not using, if you're not using three shot bursts. Um, but also it would, let's see. And the way that this particular gun is made, the clip would be in front of you. So movement would be hampered. It just seems like a pain. I don't know what the British army was thinking. Yeah. But like 35 years or whatever they used it. So <laughs> to be fair, I, I can verify as someone currently living in Britain, it's like, People over here don't know what they're doing. So like the <laughs> fact that they just just tore all that for thirty five years is like, well, yeah, people just kinda like the government over here is just like, ah, oh, this isn't working, but let's just keep doing it anyway yeah. until eventually we give up after a couple of decades. For sure. It is weird though, considering like again, like the heroes of like a, you know, the heroes of a children's movie have come into and like not you know, two of them are packing heat. <laughs> two yeah, of them were like right. ready to shoot shoot this kid in the face if they if they, if they needed to. So Yeah, they're dangerous, like, yeah, this is, right? Like they're they're Yeah, they're, like, there's a real edge to these to, to this to this whole movie. Yeah, they're set up as uh silly, but you're like, um that's an automatic weapon. <laughs> like mm. Yeah, very much so. They've got an edge to them. Yeah. And even like Randall, he's coming out like he's got his revolver ready. Like he's ready. Like yeah, if I, if I need to shoot somebody or something, I'm I am perfectly comfortable doing that. They are robbers. They are robbers. Mm. They rob. They rob people. Yeah. Although not for very long, we'll find out later. So that so that leads to the question of someone just having a regular low powered uh, '80s flashlight. They're confusing that for the supreme being at this point. Yeah, I think they're. They're on edge. I think they're relatively new to the game. They're, yeah. <laughs> they're new to the game. They're very uh, nervous at the moment. So, uh, like a mouse could run across one of their feet, and they'd be like, "Oh my god!" So, like, <laughs> so, but someone could get shot at any second. The look on Wally's face when he gets surprised by the flashlight is a classic, a, a, a classic scene that's been burned in my brain since I was ten. Mm. He has the just the most extreme reaction. <laughs> I mean, obviously he's shooting the gun, but the way he does that, it's just it's he just has such presence during this. Yeah, he's his teeth is and well, and same face is wide open. And he's same with Wally shooting the gun, trying to control that gun as he goes. I'm like Wally, like shoot at the light. <laughs> no, like he just empties the clip into the ceiling. Like I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, at the same time, too, like it's. If you were to shoot at the supreme being, that could just end up just pissing them off. <laughs> yeah, up, like you, yeah, you really, that, really should have done that. Problem. Yeah, yeah. But it's like also the, talk about things, people who should be pissed off. It's like the the elephant in the room or the the horse in the wardrobe, as it were. Uh, somehow this doesn't doesn't wake up Kevin's parents. Well, like, yeah. the loudest possible thing is happening in a room in the house of people like of a man who was like no noise yeah. and how the hell he's not like i don't think they would even be asleep yet so well now like you said i think we went through the looking glass in uh minute seven uh-huh. yeah yeah i think and i think with the imagery of the birds i know I, I know that doesn't seem to be popular right now in this crowd but i think 
we've got a lot of indications that that's the moment that we switched over. Yeah, this mm. is uh, this says to me that we're firmly in dreamland now. That whatever transition happened before or wherever it happened, we're firmly in the uh, the other side now. If it is a dream, but we are all... we are now a dream away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think you know, they, you guys will obviously cover it in great great detail when you get there at the end. But like. I was always sort of a bit baffled by the ending because I'm like, oh, it's going to take this all as being this kid's dream. But it ends on a note of like, is it? <laughs> is, Niall, is I, think, it? I think as the Time Bandits minute hosts, we are cursed with talking about the ending of the movie every single week. Yeah, we are. I think that's going to come up. I really like that uh, Alan Sanders before you came up with the idea that his house caught on fire. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, Duncan, before you say yeah. that, let's have Niall give his... Uh, his version of what well, he yeah. What do you think? Without hearing Alan's, what verse. was the point mm-hmm. of having such a like shockingly left turn, harsh ending? And or, a, I, or to put it more simply, explain what you think the ending means, yeah. or what does the ending mean to <laughs> or you, or the effect it had on you? <laughs> I, remember, I remember it leaving me completely bewildered because you're just like, so what did happen here? Like, and it's, it is the odd juxtaposition of like this kid's parents are dead and he's on his own now like he's because it'll, be, it'll be you know something of like oh the sean connery firefighter took him in or something but he's gone so and it's a go like that's a pretty sad dark moment and then just cut into this like really light cheery george harrison song i was like okay <laughs> that uh that that was a choice you made there terry but yeah. uh, i in pondering what actually happened i just took it all to be to I mean it was just wrong footing us and thing like you thought this was all a dream but it actually it was actually happening the whole time, right? And um, ah, the twist! It's the twist. So your theory is the it's the twist. It's not really a dream. Ending. Yes, it's actually the whole thing is you could go for like a you know oh no this, he's still within the dream and that's you know but I was I would take it that what they're actually positing is like no no that it, it all happened and like the reason why everything's so confuddled now is because it's the um, the you know it, it's literally God kind of getting things back into place and stuff. So I've got my whiteboard out. Okay. Hold on. I'm writing this down. Nile, it really all actually happened. That's good. Yeah. I think it's just, again, yeah. the, supreme, the supreme being trying to get things sort of back up and running into place. It's just like, okay, so there's going to be a few casualties here. Yeah. And <laughs> therefore, they yes. got kids. And it seems to me, again, the fact that this, this movie posits that God himself seems to be kind of an asshole. Yeah. Like, at the end of the movie, he's not a very <laughs> cuddly kind of guy, and he's a very, like... The way... Like, there's, there's no proper goodbye between Kevin and the, and the bandits. It's, just, it's a really severe like, cut between them. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, again, that harshness adds to how bewildering it all is. Yeah. Because you're expecting them to have, like, an E.T. moment of, like, all right, here's the big goodbye scene. But it's like, nope, but <laughs> they're gone. That's the way life works, kid. And but by the way, both your parents are dead now. And uh, yeah, good luck with all that. <laughs> so yeah, I think it is. It's a, it's a, nice. a, a picture of the uh, unusualness and unpredictability of our own reality and the the cruel harshness that sometimes comes along with that. So uh, maybe I don't know, Duncan. Yeah. Duncan, I think Fridays uh, talking about what the movie, what the ending means to our guests, is going to be one of my favorites. Absolutely. <laughs> So far, I've been hearing hearing everybody's takes has been absolutely amazing. Yeah, and, and it's 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 amazing to me how many different takes we get on it. Yeah, different interpretations. Maybe <laughs> like one point, someone's going to go into the yes, uh, the the ending is like sort of a random QAnon conspiracy theory. It's I'm getting worked into it. Like, <laughs> or they could be like, oh, 
The White House is in Florida, you say? <laughs> or like, you know, before we talk about the ending, have either of you read any Immanuel Kant? <laughs> no, like, no. Like, oh, I'll say I'll answer that question this way. I read as much as I could stand and then read a summary for the rest of it. Well, I think mm. that goes for probably a lot of philosophers, right? <laughs> I actually have to ask as well, because it's been a while since I've seen it, and I don't know if I'm getting things muddled up here, but uh, Duncan, you might be the man to, to ask, seeing as you've got your David Warner connections going on here all over the place. Yeah. Um, well, again, to, the fact that like Terry Gilliam didn't look at Hellraiser a couple of years after this and be like, excuse me? Like... The, those Cenobites, they're looking pretty similar to something I did just a couple of years back there with uh, well, it's, some, some crazy crap at the end of Time Bandits. When, but, when we, um, yeah. yeah. But uh, I, I, I have vague memories of the movie The Company of Wolves having very similar setups of like things coming through a bedroom and stuff. Okay. And like a little girl trying to sleep in bed and like yeah. a wolf jumping through her closet or something like that. And yeah. that movie also features David Warner and was made in the 80s. Yeah. And I, I thought, am I completely misremembering that? Or is that actually a weird a weird intertextual connection between the two films? Well, I haven't seen The Company of Wolves and I should get on that because I remember the uh, the cover in the, in the video stores that I used to work at, the cover for... Uh in the company of wolves was amazing because <laughs> it had mm. a wolf's mouth coming out, a wolf's snout coming out of somebody's screaming mouth. And it was uh, yeah. wow. really evocative. You were like, Oh my gosh. And I think that might be why I never saw the movie. Cause I was like, this looks like it's too rich for my blood, but it's mm. not, it's, it's not quite like it, that. Right. It's a, it's a very, very odd movie. Like it's been a couple of years since I saw it, but like I, I it's very, very, very strange. <laughs> and, uh, the the makeup in it is is crazy good yeah. as well. Like it's it's it, it deserves the acclaim for that. But I have I have a vague memory like of it been like a framing situation of like yeah, there's a you know a little girl dreaming these stories throughout it, and I'm fairly certain there's a bit of her in the bed, and a wolf comes in through in through her wardrobe or something. Wonderful. And it's just like yeah, I think it's literally within like what what's, this is eighty or eighty two that this, this was made. This is eighty one. Time Bandits is 81. 81. And The Company Wolves is, uh, I think it is 84. So, eh, so David Warner just had a thing going on. <laughs> yeah. Back then. Well, and then Tron was 82. So, man, David Warner mm. was just like hopping there for a little while. Yeah. Are you trying to low-key start a Warner minute where you're just like, I just keep doing David I Warner happily, movies without, happily do without announcing it? <laughs> then God knows what it's, it's been mentioned before that maybe that's what I'm doing covertly i'm just taking on all of uh david warner's movies which you know mm. i've heard i've heard worse ideas yeah <laughs> and next, guys... the next one i'm doing is uh teenage mutant ninja turtles 2 <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's my next book not even the first one no the second one specifically and we talked a little bit like in the last minute about like the the, the bandits attire uh, which I'm a big fan oh, of. I well, love, but I wanted. Sorry, before we get into that, I just want to talk about one point. Like you said that that you take the parents' death at the end as confirmation that this all actually happened. Yes. So yes, that it's, if uh... this is actually happening, then why isn't his dad charging into the room because of the noise? And my theory mm -hmm. is is that maybe the whole room at this point has shifted out of the time stream. Yeah, because the, yeah, that makes sense. This nice. this hole isn't on the map, and so and then with the wall thing that happens in the next couple minutes, um, like I think that maybe the whole like the, the the parents are unaware of what's happening in the room because this room is no longer connected to this dimension. Mm. Nice. Yeah, makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. 
if this if this is really happening, if if a hundred and forty three hours from now we come to the conclusion that this is all happening, <laughs> I I think that's totally the explanation. I love it. Mm. But yeah, so we get total chaos. It is him. Run for it. This way. Careful. And then they all end up in one corner of Kevin's room, pinned by the light. They knock down a bookshelf. It's uh, it's really noisy and cluttered. But then, uh, yeah, cornered by the spotlight, Randall sheepishly chuckles and, you know, drops his revolver and says, I can explain everything, sir. It's not as bad as it looks. We just borrowed the map, got rather sort of happy about it and ran off in high spirits. Which I, uh, which I love his like caught his little uh, his little caught chuckle and uh, and mannerisms. Yeah, here, like you know, he does have that like that forced smile of just like oh god damn it, but I have to pretend like you know, oh no everything's fine. Chuckle, <laughs> chuckle, uh, chuckle. I, I I can explain everything. You know, like that. Said <laughs> as soon as you say this isn't what it looks like, I can explain everything. You're like oh my god, you're so guilty. <laughs> this is not. <laughs> But then, yeah, Kevin, uh, Kevin in his clearly little kid voice asks, uh, who are you? And then um, we get a fantastic piece-by-piece English comedy routine here. This is like before with the dinner, when it's like, right. you know, we're going to have a word with you. But you're going to have to go down to bed right after your dinner. Well, I want to go now. What? But you haven't had your dinner. You have to have your dinner and then wait for it to go down. Like that, that bit of like, when it's like, that's, you know, it's like, that's not him. Everybody that's, just adding on. Everybody just adding on to the, the like, comedic value of the line. Yeah, that's not him. Mm. It doesn't sound like him. It doesn't even look like him. It doesn't even look like <laughs> him. Yeah, like, it's so, uh, <laughs> and then we get the final line in the next minute. But I, I love this. Uh, those four beats of of them coming to the conclusion as a group mind, as a hive mind, mm. that they're they're not cornered by the uh, by the mm. supreme being that they've been pinned by a flashlight. But yeah, like. The little, the little ten lumens flashlight that's shining on them. If we could, like, yeah, this is a great because it, they're frozen in this tableau on the spotlight here, and we get our first really clear look at the costumes, and they are just amazing. Yeah, yeah. Are you guys, are we, are we to assume because they're literally time bandits and everything they're wearing is is like representative of different places and periods? It's like they've stolen all this, all these clothes. So, well, yes. that's kind of that's kind of a con- a conversation to have. We've touched on this in earlier minutes. You know, are they angels? Oh, because right. they're they're creating and they're maintaining all of creation for God. Mm-hmm. And if they are angels, then and they're manifesting now on Earth in the way that they are, they would have to find something to to wear. And they each have something from a different time period going on, which means that. You know, if if that is the case, then they were running around naked at first, or <laughs> or in like yeah, heavenly robes. That's so good. they're like, well, now we just now we like we stick out. So <laughs> they're, they're clothes, like, I know, uh, how, yeah. we can all wear clothes from different time periods, and then nobody will notice. Us. Their clothes are like covering up the uh, little wings on their backs. Mm, mm. I like, but cause... I think it's because they do look very ragged as well. Like Randall's yeah. the only one who looks sort of well kept. And even he's a bit scuff, you know, a bit scuffed up and stuff. Yeah. But like the rest of them look like they've been wearing these clothes for like a long, long time. Well, I like your idea that they're like, like, like this. This kind of strikes me as how like a like a like an immortal or a time traveler would actually dress. Like, mm. uh, there's a lot of clutter here, which I can't get enough of. But it's also like, you know, we've got the World War II pilot helmet there, chainmail helmet there, you know. 
but it's like if they've taken the best from every era, you know, yeah. like the hats they're wearing are like the most waterproof hats they could find at the time. Like there's probably them wearing like, you know, boots, seal skin boots from like 2000 BC or something, you know, and also like a Nintendo power glove, you know, all thrown together into the mix. Uh, there was a bit in, uh, <laughs> what was that movie? Oh, there was a TV show, True Blood. And there's like a, a vampire club and they're trying to get in and there's a vampire bouncer. And the woman who's trying to get in is like, I'm 21. And the bouncer's like, I can't tell human ages anymore. That doesn't make any sense to me. Like, cause the, the, the vampire is <laughs> like 7,000 years old and say yeah. like the difference between 21 and 50 to the vampire is like, I, I have no idea. Sorry. I don't, I don't mm. know. So that's like, that's actually one of the things I was going to bring up is, um, is Dr. Who. Yeah, but the before getting into that, but there was a, a great episode with Peter Capaldi and Jenna Coleman, where like it's like oh you know do, do they think we're together? And she's like no why oh my god why would I be like an old man like you? And he's like wait talk about we're like the same age aren't we? <laughs> yeah, because he doesn't recognize that like yeah you're like seventy yeah and she's twenty like you just can't see the difference anymore. It's like well, well what's the problem? <laughs> For sure or like in uh, there was that episode of. Um... Star Trek Next Generation where they get trapped in a bubble by Nagilam and he starts killing the crew as experimenting with death because he's fascinated to meet people that have a finite existence right mm. and because uh, he doesn't he's an immortal and so he's like oh wait a second you guys live for like a specific period of time how bizarre mm. you know and but then <laughs> like he is just like two eyes and a mouth floating in space and he gets mm. offended that they don't want to play along especially as he's gone to such incredible lengths to look exactly like them. <laughs> right. And it's like you, but you don't, you're two eyes and a mouth floating in space. So I do like the idea that these guys could walk around downtown 1981 London thinking they were blending in. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're like, we're wearing clothes. They're wearing clothes. Mm. We're, we're just this, perfectly camouflaged. Right. But this is the kind of thing is like, I actually am, um, like I'm, you know, a fan of Doctor Who, like in all its iterations, going back through the years and stuff. And I do, I really love about this movie because there's a strong, like, you know, British '70s sci-fi vibe about it. And of course, that's very Doctor Who-ish for sure, uh, or the old school Doctor Who at least. But like, I, oh, I'm always a big fan of the costuming in that show. I always love whatever outfits they give the Doctor. It's like, oh, that's a really, that's a thing I always look forward to when they're when they've got someone new coming in yeah. and stuff. And I kind of wish they would incorporate more of a a time bandits idea into it because a lot of the times like, Oh yeah, the outfits they put on them. It's like, Oh, it's good. You know, someone just doesn't really know about whatever current fashion trends are going on. So it's just a bizarre outfit that's just stuck on. And they're like, yep, this is me now. But I would love if you just, they actually did like someone, like a new version of the doctor showed up just looking like Randall and just had like, yeah, I've got like a world war two fighter helmet on and I'm wearing like a Napoleon <laughs> tunic. <laughs> and like, it's like, yeah, that's just earth clothes. Like, yeah, this is whatever. It's fine. <laughs> it's, yeah. Um, well, let's, uh, let's get back into that. What, how would you describe Randall's clothing here in this in this scene? Because I I, I like the idea because he does seem to be wearing a very uh, like a, a high military tunic. I like the idea that maybe there was a previous yep. adventure where he was a high ranking guy in a, in a military somewhere, and this was his uniform. Or at least stole the stole the clothes from him. Yeah, but I, I like the idea that maybe they, they, he was infiltrating and he somehow managed to get to the really high ranks until everything completely balls up on them and they had to end up going on the run again or something. And on the way out, it's like, yeah, stole a bandolier from someone else yeah. and stuff like that. And... But also, I don't want to break the world, but they had to get some pretty specific sizing. 
Yes. Well, yes. yeah, like that's the thing. As they were, he, as they were acquiring clothes from people. Some of them look mm. like they're wearing like, uh, like maybe they've stolen some kids' clothes or something like that. But this, like Randall's wearing like what looks like a, a like a beef eater royal guard uniform, like a palace guard right. uh, uniform, like one of those guys with the crested helmets and a and a pike that would like guard guard palaces. This isn't like. You couldn't knock a guard unconscious and steal this uniform if you're the size of Randall, mm. you know. So that's it. Really, that's, that's why I think like yeah. Is, <laughs> that's why I think he might he might well have uh, Been. he might have actually a, a previous adventure infiltrated yeah. the military uh, and he he genuinely earned that uniform. I love it to the point where like at one point they're like yeah they custom made him a uniform because he was he was like a general for someone at one point and then they're like oh wait no that's that, that's you know whatever scheme they had going on in that instance completely yeah. cocked up so they had to go on the run again well and it also reminds me of like uh like a D party that's been running a campaign for like 18 years right <laughs> you know like you've got you've got your choice of your plus 10 ogre knives you know like you've got your choice of your cursed javelins you know you've got your choice of you've got six bags of holding like it's you're, you're this uh, collage of adventures that you've had and that's what they come out looking like which is th- there's a there's a there's an implication here that they've been doing this for a long time and this is like i like it and that's that's one of the thoughts I was just having. We're going to find out later that they really haven't been at it too. Yeah, long. so this could mm. be their work clothes, right? Yeah, potentially. I'm just it I'm really just be curious what though because like around in heaven with yeah, well, like I, uh, you know head canon things you get like oh well, you know through experience I've had to learn like well you need all terrain clothing and stuff yeah. so make sure you've got a hat because all of them have different hats and stuff like yeah. get yourself a hat hat wherever you can and then for whatever reason. Fidget just had to go for like a a, a colander. <laughs> it's like I need something. So and a candle. This is the best I could get. A colander and a candle. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and cal- yeah. If, if 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 you if you were to cosplay as one of the one of the bandits, which one would would be your favorite to go for? Oh, like which? Uh, you, who do you think has the best ensemble? Wally. Wally. For me, I go mm. Wally. I go Wally for sure. Yeah. Because there's a note in the novel here that um, the pirate's hat that he's wearing, the big uh, is that a tricorn? I don't think that's a tricorn, but the uh, the big sort of sideways pirate hat that he's wearing, that's a real monkey skull on it. Oh, wow! <laughs> a, a real monkey skull and crossbones on it, which is, or at least that's what it's supposed to be. It might not actually be in the film, but in the novel, there uh, it's a it's not just a, a sculpture or a design. It's like literally a monkey skull. Which uh, mm. pretty cool. Yeah. I think I, I I genuinely like um, uh, Strutter's outfit because I think that I cause I wear hats all the time myself, and I'm like I think I could actually just in a couple of years time once I if I was able to grow a beard that impressive like something something you yourself would grow. Yeah, uh, Duncan, I've seen I've seen your um, <laughs> the immense beard you got going on your Facebook profile picture. At yeah, least. Um, but like it's. Uh, I think I could just have Strutter wear as my day-to-day wear. <laughs> like it's like, yeah, it's a pretty cool outfit he's got going on here. I got to get those little glasses going, and uh, yeah, the whole thing is that, that sort of um, yeah. I think I, I think I could pull that off uh, as, as 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 casual wear <laughs> on my day-to-day life. I think for me, I would end up. I would want to be Randall, yeah, but I yeah. think I would end up being Og. Or, no, Vermin. <laughs> 
Yeah, I would end up being Vermin because Vermin's. Mm. I, I would start off as Randall, and I would end up as Vermin after about two years. Is it like one of the, like a, a meme you get? Something like you know, we all think we're a Randall, but we're actually <laughs> <laughs> Vermin. Because <laughs> it's like uh, Vermin's like just dressed in rags. He just seems mm. to be in a, in a just hanging off him. a pile of rags hanging off him. So it might be furs, or... and we haven't discussed this because we're a pretty polite crew right now. But imagine the smell. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In this room right now. I they don't seem like they would have the time even to be like, oh, should we stop and bathe somewhere? Like, no, <laughs> we're on the move constantly. We can't, we can't be dicking around about stuff like that. Well, here's another question. Did they leave God's office and walk into Kevin's bedroom? Did they steal the map and walk into Kevin's bedroom? Or did they steal the map, go on some adventures, and now they're here? Oh, I, I got. I was under the impression that they've been at, you know, they're not been at that long. But then, how's not that long to? Yeah, I think they. You know, I think angels. they've been at it long enough. I think they've been at it long enough to be paranoid that God would be after them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think if they walked right out of God's office, they wouldn't be afraid. Second one, first step into the world that God. I is mean, on. wouldn't they? Mm. Like it's like if you go to shoot the devil in the back, you better not miss, right? Like I think they just literally stole something from God. So I think the first step they take out of the workshop, they're going to be like, oh, God, we've made a horrible mistake. So maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I think they would be a little – I can see an argument being made for them being really high strung, having just left. That would make Napoleon literally their first robbery. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always got the vibe. Like, no, like, like all this all this stuff that got this stolen and pickpocketed from – previous adventures like they've been at this like couple of weeks potentially yeah and they're you know they're always they're always yeah, on, the, on the move you know i like that better i'm kind of with niall yeah. i think i think there's been a couple of things that happened i definitely mm. like that better for sure i like that they've that these are costumes they've pilfered from across the ages and uh now they're now they're here i like that i like that a lot better mm. it is a little disappointing later on when we find out that they haven't been at it for very long yeah in a way mm. it's kind of cool but it does it is also kind of like ah you know at the same time like, though oh, again man. it's like well how long is very long to them they like went up and out very long we've been doing it for like 12 years you know <laughs> it's like it's, that could be especially when you have a a time machine well yeah yeah i mean fidget or uh sorry there yeah fidget fidget literally says i don't know we've never done this before oh right oh, like okay. so like when yeah, the, right. the the heist that they do later i mean the spoiler alert i guess but like is their literal first height so that 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 sort of makes me wonder is this mm. them just if they did just step out of god's if office they just wow. stepped off the res and now they're just oh my god and then like the second they're like rumbled they're like oh we made we got away with it oh god it's the spotlight he caught us you know mm. oh my god Duncan, I think you're so right. So it's a possibility, but but their costumes do say otherwise. Their cost if if, yeah, they, if this is what yeah. they were working in, um, that's a very utilitarian getup they've got going on. And uh, uh, you know, were there standards for uniforms at one point? You know, like I don't know, yeah. but but I, I like the. It made me seem like the supreme beings running like a, a, a ruthless ship. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's like oh, they all... the time to. They'd all have orange jumpsuits on, or or uh, or like you know Ghostbusters, yeah. you know kind of things. But. You found out like all oh, all these clothes are originally just like pristine white, but they just they don't <laughs> yeah. get the chance to take a break, <laughs> right? Like I, I I like the idea that they've been kicking around for a while, but the question I just wanted to ask. Well, that question. here's another aspect of that. We know later on when they do get some nice suits, they get pretty rumpled pretty quickly. That's true. Yeah, 
Yeah. These are not guys that are taking care of their taking care of their clothes. They don't. Yeah, yeah they're not the best. Uh, yeah, the the best at taking care of their stuff. Should note though, like in terms of a uh, nice piece of mise en scène and talking about beginning a, an adventure, I do enjoy the fact, like now that the time bandits have arrived, uh, they're standing there, and in frame is the blazingly disp- displayed is the game, uh, like the board game blast uh, box saying "blast off." Yeah, like this is the beginning of the adventure now. Here we go. Um, yeah, yeah. This is so Terry Gilliam, especially watching this movie now. I'm I'm becoming more and more aware of it. He really is just putting a lot of clues on the screen all the time about things that are going on, things that are about to happen. This guy is just very. He's detailed. a very. Yeah, very... It was odd for me this week because I've been making uh, the. You know, for people who don't know, uh, I was uh, also on sixty seconds to comply, the RoboCop minute, uh, awesome. just earlier today, and looking at those minutes, like oh, the the decor of the the Murphy household, and during Alex Murphy's flashbacks, I'm just like. Because I've just come off making notes for Time Bandits, so I was sitting going like, okay, so what is that gazelle in the background? Is there, is there a gazelle later in the movie or something? Yeah. And then you find like, no, there's no, like, there's a lot of, you know, stuff put into Robocop. It is by no means a lazy movie, but they did not put in the same level of effort to set design as Terry Gilliam has in this bedroom. Yeah, for sure. The mind of Terry Gilliam. Is there anyone, is there anyone that does this more in, in movies than he and Kubrick? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kubrick, I guess Kubrick's very detail oriented, but uh, I think Terry Gilliam's got the lock on clutter and detail. Mm. Yeah, right. I because I, uh, like yeah, you will get people, like David Lynch will tell you like that ashtray. That's the key to the whole the whole story. Yeah, <laughs> but if I, I, I if you say so, David, <laughs> but I, I don't understand what that that even means. Yeah, yeah. The inside <laughs> of his head is a mystery for sure, but he's got some mm. great movies. And it's a it's a great thing though, and looking at things minute by minute, that sometimes you do you do discover some real gold because yeah. like um, I think when we did Batman '89, there's one scene in Harvey Dent's office where he's pacing around, and we notice it's like oh yeah in the background there's a giant friggin' coin on the wall basically it's oh. a giant circular thing that looks like a coin, and then it's got, like there's they're also in the other. Uh, the other two walls you can see in one shot and it's like yes the two sides of different coins and stuff it's just like oh like they they put in the effort with that like they were really foreshadowing oh yeah it's it's two-faced guys and then like every time you see him he always has what like a pristine suit with one red rose prominent prominently displayed on one side the side of his face that will be scarred and stuff and you're like okay yeah these guys knew what they're doing i suppose but yeah um if I hadn't been analyzed that minute by minute, I don't think I'd ever would have spotted that, but, but there it was. That's one of the cool things about going on a deep dive like this is you're afraid it's going to fall apart in your hands and you're afraid that it's going to be maybe not that well made and that there hasn't been that big of a attention to detail. And you're like, oh, shoot, mm. be kind of disappointing to find that out. But in my experience so far, that's not been the case. It's all it's all there, yeah. right? So. Well, I think uh, examining a Terry Gilliam movie is just going to emphasize how much yeah, how much attention to detail has been? I think it's particularly too crafted uh, into this because he's coming from like um, an animation background. So I guess he's like, well, every, yep. yeah, you know, the, everything interesting is what you see on screen. Yeah, like it's you know, it's not, I don't think he's that focus on the dialogue or you know, th- like the actual story. When I was like, no, you have to lay everything in in the visuals. So um, yeah, I can I can understand his mentality behind it for sure. Yeah, I like. Do you guys have a favorite? I'm assuming this is your favorite Terry Gilliam movie. Uh, no. Or is there one you would regard as better? 
uh, I don't know, but for me, it's um, it's a three-way tie between Time Bandits Brazil and The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Mm. That whole trilogy. Time Bandits, for me, is a, a, a well-worn, comfortable old slipper <laughs> that I go back to again and again. Mm. Uh, Baron, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, I don't watch nearly as, enough, uh, as much, but I do love. And Brazil, I love in a way that's reserved for... Uh, the woman that you could never uh, date. <laughs> that makes <laughs> sense. Yeah, I think she's beautiful and she's perfect, and I'm just never gonna, I'm never gonna get the opportunity to be with her as much yeah. as mm. I as I am with Time Bandit, my best friend. I can dig that. I think I, I, I've still got like a real, like a real thing for Twelve Monkeys, just in the fact that when I first saw that as a kid. The twists it was doing of it, you know, at the end, oh, it yeah, was, it, sure. it, he met himself in the, oh my God, like that blew my mind back when I was, when I was young. So to this day, I was like, yeah, tell, tell monkeys a freaking masterpiece, even though it's probably like, in, in retrospect, it's probably like, you know, a lot of tropes there as well. But, uh, was that the, still, it, it, was that the first Terry Gilliam film you saw? I think, yeah, maybe as his actual director, you know, I've seen Monty Python and stuff yeah, beforehand, yeah. but that's, you know, he's only doing so much there. Uh, but yeah, potentially that would be the one. That like, yeah, this is this is what a Terry Gilliam, Gilliam movie is like. Because I me. think a lot of people had that experience. Like for me, I'd seen, uh, you know, his previous three movies before I saw Twelve Monkeys. So for me, Twelve Monkeys was almost like a a, a watered down Hollywood version of Terry Gilliam, right? Mm. But still mm. with his. Oh, see, I didn't have that experience. But that that was my was... experience anyway. But I could I could very much dig that if that was your first Terry Gilliam experience, it's like drinking from the fire hose you know like what am i watching this is amazing (laughs) Um, for me 12 monkeys was a movie where i got excited because of the director i think it might have been the first movie i got excited for because of the director okay Mm. it was 12 monkeys oh this is the time bandits guy right and he's making a movie in contemporary times not from my childhood and i was like oh i've got to go see this right Mm. And it was it was a blast all the way through. I just loved it. That's a, a weird thing is because I know um, there's so many like you. Know, I think Brazil is usually kind of considered to be like that is the the Terry Gilliam movie. Okay. If you see any of them, that's the one you have to see. Uh, but again, that had the same thing to me as with uh, with Time Bandits, where I was like. It had been built up to me, and I, I just knew, like, oh, it's a guy from Monty Python, which is light and funny, and it's just, like, you know, clever, silly humor. And then to go into Brazil and find, like, oh, this is this is heavy. It's, this is, like, yeah. a heavy movie. This isn't, like, a light watch. No, it's heavy and um, it's bleak. It, it is bleak. Yeah. 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 And the fact you're introduced, like, oh, there's Michael Palin. I love Michael Palin. And then, like, <laughs> five minutes later, you're like, oh, my God, he's a monster in this. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's always a, the bizarre thing about the guy. It's like, yeah, he, he exudes this sort of cuddly friendliness about him. And he has, I think he has that reputation. Like, oh, yeah, Terry Gilliam's a funny guy. And then yeah. he actually watches stuff. And it's like, he's just, he's a he's a, a bleak fella. There's like, a, he's got yeah. a lot of stuff. Like, There's a darkness there. You know, even like, considering he's, you know, trying to make Watchmen for a while. It's like, yeah, Watchmen is a similarly cynical, bleak kind of book as well. I, like, I guess that would have perfectly suited Terry Gilliam's yeah. uh, sensibilities, too. But I kind of came at it backwards. I I like Time Bandits and, and Terry Gilliam's kind of movies first, and then discovered he was part of Monty Python. Mm. Monty Python for me was a was an experience I started having in my twenties, not when I was a okay. kid. And so 
I think it might have been more obvious to me after seeing that he makes these dark movies when I ran across his animation in Monty Python mm-hmm. that like, oh yeah, this this all makes sense for me. Oh, okay. Because okay. he, wasn't, he wasn't really being the funny one in Monty Python. He was being the one that was giving it. He was being the guy that gave him their edge. Mm. Well, yeah, and the bridges, right? The bridges between sketches. Because it's, it's really hard to write an ending for a sketch or a segue to another sketch. So make some funny animation. So he'd have his creepy his creepy animation, yeah. This was, yeah, the yeah, most famous, famous bit of animation he has is, a, is literally a foot coming down and crushing people's heads. <laughs> yeah, it's right. like, I guess that is actually a, a very, like... Um, you know, dystopic, uh, sort of overly like um, Kafka-esque image that he's conjuring up there. Yeah. Uh, but within the that context of Monty Python, it's like that's very that silly. Is but totally then, the guy. No, I'm just, just thinking like, yeah, literally, if you had to like, you know, uh, like uh, describe what Brazil is, it's like I guess it is kind of like a giant, a giant boot coming down and freaking this poor guy's face yeah. over and over again. Yeah. So it's like, oh, maybe <laughs> the signs were all there the whole time. Uh. I'm I'm doing this live now and uh, revealing my ignorance. Terry Gilliam was the American one. Do I have that right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah the, the uh, very featured very little in the sketches, but like he would show up and you'd just know him because he's like, oh, this is the American guy, yeah. and then he would come in and be like, <laughs> you know, like oh, this is my only line, and everyone boo, like well, that's my only line. Yeah. And then that would that would be like oh, that's Terry Gilliam's contribution to the episode this week yeah. beyond the animation, of course. <laughs> um. And he has, he's the famous one, uh, like, you know, the Camelot, Camelot, Camelot. It's only a model. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's Terry Gilliam says that. So. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to talk a little bit about the differences between the uh, script and the comic and the novel? Let's do it. In the script, it's not very long. It's just as a smidge different. So uh, the ad-libs and the panicked running around have a different line or two thrown in. But when they're caught in the script, Randall says, leave it to me, which is not. Uh, in the movie and they they claim that they're just on their way to return the map which also isn't in uh, in this part of the movie and then kevin says who are you please in a much more uh, british polite little boy kind of way and i like his more plain and honest uh who are you which is better but that's what that's the script mm. but in the novel it's cool because the novel describes what everybody's wearing which is pretty cool. So Og is in a Viking helmet with one horn and a scarlet waistcoat. Strutter, dressed in a Elizabethan double doublet, gold-rimmed granny glasses, and a square-topped bowler hat. Wally's wearing a pirate's hat with a real monkey skull and crossbones. Fidget's wearing a vegetable colander with a candle on it, which if it's supposed to be protection against rain, colanders are specifically to let water through so that's kind of funny <laughs> except he has british army camouflage trousers and spats and randall is dressed in a scottish regimental dress jacket and wearing a we world war ii leather flying helmet with ear flaps and a monocle it's mentioned that he's the natural leader but only just which i think mm. is a it's a neck and neck race between like who's the leader and he just Every conversation is one that he wins, but it's by a smidge. <laughs> so I think uh, I like how Kevin throws that whole dynamic uh, into disarray when he joins the team. I think it's worth mentioning also that whenever the bandits refer to him, uh, it's capitalized in the novel when they're like, um, you know, it doesn't sound like him. I don't think it is him. Mm. You know, they, the him is like capital H. So it's a bit more clear yeah. that they're talking about the big guy. And then Kevin in the book, he also says, who are you, please? So 
yeah, I like the I like the uh, the movie version better, as I've said. Mm. Comics pretty much the same. The book, yeah, the pacing is off for me a little bit in the book. Yeah, I, a little bit too talky. Yeah, very much so. I really like the way it all came across in the film. Mm. I think like in the comic book, I enjoy that they they really got the likenesses down. Like considering you know, oh, but yeah, they really do. Like back in the day, they might have been like you know, no, nowadays you would expect it, but I think like back then it's like ah, they just hammer these things out. But like no, they they went to town to make sure that everything was accurately represented. We've had a conversation about this. This movie, this comic book came out about a year later, and I think Marvel, what they did, because they did this for The Empire Strikes Back too, where they would actually use the movie, mm. use stills from the movie and stuff to design their their uh, uh, panels on, sometimes outright tracing, mm. but then just recoloring in a comic book way. And you can just tell by, who's in the bullet hat again? Uh, Strutter, I think, is the, the yeah, kind of flat top. Yeah. Uh, you can tell by the panel that features Strutter right in the middle with uh, uh, Randall's face and Wally's face around him that they they got him. I mean, they drew that actor is what happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm very, like, I, I really wish they did have a thing of, like, no, this, these guys have picked up all this stuff on Wild Adventures prior to getting to Kevin's room because then that's just, like, if that's a real monkey skull, yeah. Did, you know, was that like freaking Wally? <laughs> did he kill a monkey? Like, did he put that on himself? <laughs> or? Fight with a monkey. Like, it makes yeah. sense to me that he was like, I want a skull and crossbones on this hat, but I don't see any skull and crossbones kicking around, and I don't have any white paint. Oh, look, there's a monkey. They have skulls, yeah. don't they? <laughs> like, like <laughs> kind of innocently doing horrible things because they're, uh, they're immortal, and this, this whole, this whole, that's mm. one thing that, like, to get into is because this whole yeah we don't talk about this, that enough the fact that they are immortal and the planet is their creation so it's kind of like a big holodeck program to them yeah right yeah. like they wouldn't they wouldn't take life seriously and to to add on to that i kind of get the feeling that they are all kind of awful people like mm. wally to me seems like someone who would torture cats or or just mm. they seem base and greedy but in right, uh right. in uh in a sort of a humorous, uh, like bouffant, uh, clownish fool kind of way. Like they're, they're very much like archetypes of, you know, yeah, they love, like they'll, they'll gorge on desserts. Like they're a bunch of four-year-olds, right? Like they, their clothes stay, their clothes stay clean for like maybe five minutes before they spill ketchup on them. You know, like they're, yeah. they're, they're stained, <laughs> they're ragged. It doesn't occur to them that they, their clothes become rags and like, how long does it take for clothes to become rags? You know, like a, a really long time, you know, and mm. to them to say, oh, maybe I should get a new coat. You know, things, they have to be like naked before they're like, oh, I should get some new clothes, you know, like, so they're, uh, they're not really, you know, in the present moment. <laughs> they're very much mm. uh, creatures of the id. You know, and well, that kind of makes it funny, though, the idea of it's like, oh, look at our clothes. We've been at this for almost a day. <laughs> I know. <laughs> if the idea that these clothes were brand new yesterday morning, I think that's awesome. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> like, like, Vermin, what the heck? Did you go through, like, a grinder? Did you, like, how are you? That was a nice suit two hours ago. Like, what's happening? The Time Bandits Minute is a fan project hosted by Curtis Blaze and Duncan Shields. The movie, Time Bandits, was created by Terry Gilliam and Michael Palin and is presented by Handmade Films. The novel Time Bandits was written by Charles Alverson and is based on a screenplay by Michael Palin and Terry Gilliam. It is published by Severn House Publishing. 
The comic book adaptation, Time Bandits, was created by the team at Marvel Comics and published by Stan Lee. The screenplay, Time Bandits movie script, was written by Terry Gilliam and Michael Palin. It was published by Doubleday Dolphin Books. You can find more of us at timebanditsminute.com or text us at 712-830-7373. You can also find us on Facebook at Time Bandits Minute, the podcast. Thank you to the Star Wars Minute guys for graciously allowing us to steal the format. If you would like to listen to other Movies by Minutes podcasts, check out moviesbyminutes.com. Join us next week for Minute 10, when the bandits say... Let's get it!